following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. You better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners. You better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Just how the people live, they're just gonna die. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Just how the sinner lives, they're just gonna die. The time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready, hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready, times are coming when a sinner must die. God gave no other rainbow sign, time, time's coming when a sinner must die, it won't be the water be the far next time the time time's coming when the sinner must die oh sinners you better get ready oh you better get ready hallelujah sinners you better get ready times are coming when the sinner must die sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Die. You better get down on your knees and pray. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Time, time's a coming when the sinner must die. Spirit within me, I 
Thank you. 
You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Today I really need to walk with you into some deep water. It's not surprising to me that the ruler of the air would stand in opposition to what I want to share with you today. Let me begin by reading for you a portion of the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan, edited by C.J. Lovick. 
I then saw in my dream that Hopeful looked back and noticed Ignorance, whom they had left behind, still following them. Look how far the youngster follows behind us, he said to Christian. Yes, I see him, said Christian, but he does not care for our company. Yet I don't think it would have hurt him if he had walked along with us all this time. Well, Christian said, that's true. Our companionship might have done him well, but I'm sure he thinks otherwise. Oh, I think you're right, Hopeful said. However, let's wait for him. So they did. Then Christian said in ignorance, Hurry up, man. Why do you lag behind? And ignorance answered, I take pleasure in walking alone and enjoy it more than traveling in the company of others, unless I really like the particular members of such a company. Then Christian said to Hopeful, very softly, Didn't I tell you he cared not for our company? Then turning to ignorance, Christian said to him, Come along with us, and, and let us spend our time talking as we walk along through this solitary place. Then he inquired of ignorance, saying, How are you doing? How stands it between God and your soul now? Now this is an essential question, and it's not an easy question. I don't know how to even try to begin talking to you about the subject for today. I talk with people constantly about the gospel. And I come and I speak here on this broadcast about the gospel of Jesus. But the gospel of Jesus is not easily understood or deciphered in today's culture in America or in the world. There are so many competing gospels I remember when I was just a child, I began to be confronted with the gospel. And the problem was, I couldn't understand what was being said because it did not make sense to me. And I struggled, even as a child, to try to make sense in a practical manner out of what was being said to me. Part of what happened as I grew into high school is that whenever a preacher would stand up to preach, my eyes would simply glaze over. Because what he was saying was so separated from my reality, I couldn't make sense of what the man was trying to say. And so I didn't listen. I just would open the Bible and I would begin to read for myself. I simply tuned him out. My great fear now that I'm a pastor is that I come and teach the Word also, that your eyes too will glaze over and you'll just block out what I'm saying and go about your business. But I'm going to say some things to you that I was never, never told when I was growing up. I've never heard them preached. Let me be very blunt and very straight with you. You cannot trust the word that I preach to you. You cannot trust the word that any man preaches to you. You must go for yourself to the Scriptures, and you must understand for yourself what they say. 
because your eternal salvation hangs in the balance. I have spent all of my life trying to understand the gospel. I have been railed at, I have been screamed at, I have been shunned. And all of that is okay because my heart is to know Jesus and understand the gospel of Jesus. I don't want to understand the gospel of the Presbyterians. I do not want to understand the gospel of the Pentecostals. I don't want to understand the gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. I want to understand the gospel of Jesus as found in the Scriptures. And what I find in the Scriptures is so alarming and so frightening that there is a terror in my heart. I must be frank with you. I'm unwilling to think, even at this stage of my life, that I understand fully the gospel of Jesus. I am constantly pressing into Jesus. I am constantly searching after him. I am constantly reading the scriptures because I want to understand how I can be saved. And not just me. I want to understand how you can be saved as well. The cry of my heart is that you would be saved. That we would have a path open for us to heaven. This, however, is not for me a casual endeavor. This requires most of my time and energy. And you say, well, pastor, you can afford to do that because you're a pastor. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't always a pastor. And I've chosen this course. I've chosen to be a pastor, and I've chosen this course so that I would have time to sit before the Lord and understand his ways, because more important to me than anything in this world is to understand the ways of God and to understand who Jesus is and understand the lies that are being taught today and not be caught in them. So I'm going to read to you what is said by John Bunyan in this allegory to ignorance. And then I'm going to point out the very subtle errors that can lead you to hell in even the teaching of John Bunyan. I'm going to show you where they are against what the Word of God says. Now, this is not easy. It is very seldom that I hear any preaching done that my spirit can receive because almost everything I hear is tainted with human ideology, with religion, and not the gospel taught in the scriptures by Jesus or by the apostles. Most want to take one passage of Scripture and lift that up and make it supreme and not look at the other passages of Scripture and not look at the context. 
I can't do that. So what I'm going to do today and tomorrow and this week is come to you and share with you to the best of my ability at the stage of life I am now in, at the level of maturity that I have now achieved in Christ, I will share with you the gospel of Jesus. I must humbly add, however, to you that I have many times been wrong and many times misunderstood the gospel. If you're looking for someone who will give you the straight gospel of Jesus, you must go to the scriptures. Those of us who try to expound the gospel simply do so out of our own life as we understand it. So I will condemn no man, but I will not settle for anything less than the true gospel of Jesus as found in the scriptures. It must agree with what the scriptures say, or I can't walk in it. So the key question is, how stands your soul before God? And ignorance answers, I hope well, for I am always full of good thoughts and intentions that come into my mind that comfort me as I walk. What good intentions and what good thoughts, Christian inquired, please tell us frankly why I think of God and of heaven. Well, so do the devils and damned souls, Christian pointed out. Ignorant answered, but I think of them and also desire them. Christian asserted, so do many who are never going to make it to heaven. The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing. We need to stop on that point because it's a vital one. I knew a man once who desired with all of his heart that he could be wealthy. He wanted to retire and live a wonderful lifestyle. He hated poverty. And so he tried a few little businesses that didn't risk anything. He tried Amway, and he tried some other multi-level marketing, and that didn't go well for him, and so he bailed out of those. He was also a a chef, a professional baker. He made his living in food administration. But he didn't make enough money there. He had about $45,000, $50,000 in retirement. I said to him, why don't you take that money that you have and invest it in a little cupcake shop? This was before cupcakes were the rage. He said, I couldn't do that. I said, why? He said, because... 
that would be risking everything. I can't afford to risk everything. And so today he has gone through his $50,000 and he lives on Social Security and things are very tight for him. He never risked. On the other hand, I met a woman at the Galleria Mall. She owns a pastry shop on the third floor of the Galleria, Tyson's. I said to her, I'm amazed that someone at your age has taken on a project like this. How would you decide to do this? And she said, well, Pastor, all of my life, I have wanted to be a baker. And I've wanted to own a pastry shop. I work for the government until finally retiring with full benefits. And I finally recognized that if I was ever going to do what I most wanted to do with my life, I was going to have to risk everything to do it. And so she said, I found this spot on the third floor. It's not a very good spot. But I made the decision that I was going to cash out my retirement. And it's taken every penny of my retirement to invest in this pastry shop. I said, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you've taken all of your retirement money, you've taken everything your family has saved, and you've invested it all in this pastry shop. And if this pastry shop goes under, you're left with nothing. Well, she said, basically, yes. And then a big smile broke out on her face. And she said, but I'm winning. The pastry shop is doing very well. She had the best cupcakes in the world. I love her cupcakes. The best cakes, the best pies, the best cookies. What an amazing pastry shop. Well, why am I telling you these stories? It's going to cost you everything to go to heaven. You're going to have to risk everything you have. Are you willing? Are you willing to risk everything you have for the kingdom of God? To seek after Jesus Christ. To be filled with his righteousness. He says, I think of them and leave all that I possess and enjoy that I might gain them. This man, ignorance, is saying he desires heaven. He wants to go to heaven. And he imagines that he's paid the price necessary that he could go there. He said, I think of heaven and I leave all that I possess and enjoy that I might gain heaven. And Christian answers, I don't think so, since leaving all is hard. It is a harder matter than many of us are even aware of. But what 
is it that persuades you that you have left all for God and for heaven? Ignorance answers, My heart tells me so. Christian challenged, The wise man says he that trusts his own heart is a fool. This is spoken of of an evil heart. But ignorance said, Mine is a good heart. Christian asked, How can you prove that your heart is good? Ignorance answers, It comforts me with hopes of heaven. That may be your heart deceiving you, Christian warned. Man's heart may comfort him with hope of things that in all truth he has no reason to hope for. But my heart and my life agree, and therefore my hope is well grounded, said ignorance. Who told you that your heart and life agree? My heart tells me so, ignorance claimed strongly. Christian suggested, then, ask your heart if I am a thief. Your heart may tell you that I am a thief, but that does not make it so. Unless the word of God bears witness in this matter, no other testimony is of value. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? Ignorance questioned. And isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Well, yes, a good heart has good thoughts, and a good life is one lived according to God's commandments, Christian agreed, adding. But it is one thing indeed to have those, and another thing to only think you do. Ignorance said, please tell me what you consider to be good thoughts, and a life lived according to God's commandments. Christian replied, There are good thoughts pertaining to different things, some with respect to others, God, Christ, and other things. Well, what do you think are good thoughts in relation to ourselves? asked ignorance. Well, such things as agree with the word of God. Let's stop a moment. Bunyan is setting up a standard. It's a very important standard to understand. We can be extremely sentimental as Americans. We can think that we are doing just fine because our heart tells us we're doing just fine. We can think that we are comfortable with God because our heart tells us we love Jesus. One man I know says he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And the next thing I know, he's out shacking up with a woman. Now, how is it possible for him to say out of his mouth, I love Jesus and I serve Jesus, and the next moment to go shack up with a woman? It's very simple. His love for Jesus is sentimental love. His lust is simply another part of his heart. And so with his heart, he goes in sentimentality 
for his love for Jesus, and the next moment, in his sentimentality, his lust goes for a woman. And his heart is what he walks by. He is absolutely confident that he loves Jesus, but he's also absolutely given over to fornication. Some of you may say, I love Jesus with all my heart, until you get drunk, or until you do drugs, or lying and cheating and stealing, bitterness and worry and despair and depression and anger. Your heart lets you do all of these things. Your heart can justify being angry with someone. Your heart can justify and make it fine that you hold a grudge against someone because they've done you wrong. They've stolen from you or they've done something. Your heart can make all of that okay. Your heart has the ability to juggle a thousand different things and make everything seem like it's okay. But by the standard of Scripture, it's not okay at all. And so what we have done with the false gospel today, we've gone to one side of the road or the other. There is a ditch on both sides. In the ditch on one side is legalism. I must do these things to earn God's love. And the ditch on the other side is God loves me unconditionally, and I'm saved even in the midst of my wickedness. I'm saved. Both are horrendously wrong. They don't, they don't agree with Scripture. Now, the problem that I struggle with as a pastor is that almost everyone I speak with listens to their heart, and their heart keeps them comfortable. It's like in my house, I have a thermostat. And when the house begins to get cold, as it, as it does when the electric goes off in the wintertime, and the house begins to cool down, I feel it. But as long as the electric's on and the thermostat is working, I don't notice the temperature because it stays constant in my house. And when the hot summer comes, my thermostat turns on my air conditioning, and again, the temperature is constant in my house. Well, your thermostat is your heart emotionally, and your heart can constantly adjust itself you feel a little sad? Well, let's get some dessert. You feel a little upset with someone? Well, let's indulge in another area. Let's go on vacation. Let's watch a movie. Let's, let's do something. Let's whatever it is. Your heart keeps your whole system adjusted so that you never have to look at the reality of your frozen heart, of the frozenness of your life in Christ, 
your heart keeps that artificial temperature set for your life using whatever means we have in our culture, primarily money, work, entertainment, relationships. We can adjust ourselves so that we're never very miserable. Now our conscience comes, and it's frozen. Our conscience needs to be thawed out. But the heart does not want to thaw out the conscience. It wants to keep it in the deep freeze. I hear people refer to, I have a, I have a sexual addiction, or I have an alcohol addiction, or I have a smoking addiction, or I have an addiction to lying. That's the heart keeping words that are comfortable and are related to sickness, which I can't help. It's a lie. The truth is there is no sexual addiction. There is just the sin of fornication. The truth is there is no addiction to alcohol. There is just the sin of alcohol. There is the sin of lying. There is the sin of cheating. There is the sin of bitterness. Let's recognize the reality of our condition before God and stop making excuses because when we stop making excuses and we stop letting our heart keep us comfortable in our sin, we'll begin to thaw out our conscience and our conscience will begin to be quickened by the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with us about the reality of the vileness of our nature. But most of us want to use Jesus as a sop, emotional sop, to keep us comfortable. And so the atheist will say that Jesus is simply an emotional crutch to the Christian. And may I tell you blank truth. For most Christians, Jesus is an emotional crutch. For many of you, Jesus is just an emotional crutch. Your conscience is in the deep freeze. Your conscience has not been quickened by the Spirit. You have, by the flesh, improved your life. You have, by the flesh, disciplined the flesh. But essentially, you've never been regenerated and made into a new person. You're just a pagan dressed up in Christian clothes. If that does not change in all of our lives, we can never be saved. Now, this is a hard reality. The gospel is not about sentimentality. The gospel is about honestly facing who we are in Jesus Christ. 
It's coming to terms with the vileness of who we are. Now let me continue. We're speaking now about ignorance, and ignorance keeps claiming that his heart tells him that he's okay. Then I ask you, does your heart tell you that I'm a thief? Your heart may tell you that I am, but that does not make it so. Unless the Word of God bears witness in this matter, no other testimony is of value. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? Ignorance questioned. And isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Yes, a good heart has good thoughts, and a good life is one lived according to God's commandments. But it is one thing indeed to have these things, and it is another thing to think you have these things. Well, please tell me what you consider to be good thoughts and a life lived according to God's commandments. Christian replied, There are good thoughts pertaining to different things, some with respect to ourselves, God and Christ, and other things. Well, what do you think are good thoughts in relation to ourselves? And Christian answered, Such as agree with the word of God. What kind of thoughts about ourselves agree with the word of God? Ignorance pushed further. Christian explained, We think rightly of ourselves when we pass the same judgment upon ourselves that the Word passes. To explain myself more fully, the Word says of persons in a natural condition, There is none righteous. There is none that doeth good. It also says that every imagination of the heart of man is only evil and that continually. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, by the way, you can look at this in the Scriptures. It's Romans, the third chapter, verses 10 through 12. Now then, when we think these thoughts of ourselves, our thoughts are good ones because they agree with the word of God. Well, ignorance insisted, I will never believe that my heart is that bad. Therefore, said Christian, you have never had one good thought concerning yourself in your entire life. Let me go on. As the word passes judgment upon our heart, so it passes judgment upon our ways. When the thoughts concerning our hearts and ways agree with the judgment that the word gives of both, then we are then both thoughts and actions agree with the word and they're good. Well, tell me what you mean, ignorance said. Christian went on. Well, the word of God says that man's ways are crooked ways, not good, but perverse. It says that man is naturally opposed to the good way and cannot know it. Now, when a man knows in his head and humbly believes with all of his heart that the word is right and that his ways are not good, then he has good thoughts regarding his own ways. 
because his thoughts now agree with the judgment of the Word of God. A man sits in front of the television and spends hours watching the Redskins game. Would Jesus sit with him and watch with him? When we go to heaven, will we have a football league? Is the football league, is it godly? Is it exemplary? The scriptures say to think on that which is good. Are the men who play the game good men? Or are most of them pagan men? ungodly, undisciplined, unrighteous. You know the answer to that. And I could apply the same principle to many other things. Movies that we watch, places we go, things we do, things we say. What if in everything you did and said, What if every place you chose to go, what if in everything you ask the question, is this pleasing to God? Would Jesus do this with me? Would Jesus say what I'm saying? Would Jesus be offended by my attitude? the question comes home very sharply. Are we in agreement with God regarding the natural condition of man? In Romans, the third chapter, I'll begin reading for you in verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Well, no, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm sure that your heart will rise up, even as mine would, and say, wait a minute. There's a little good in me. Come on. The Word of God says there's no good in your natural man. That if there is something in your heart that desires to follow after Jesus, it is because in Genesis 3.15 a promise was given that God would put enmity between you and the serpent. That enmity is hatred. Hatred towards sin. And so as God begins to call us, let's recognize that there is nothing in my soul of myself that will call me to follow after the Lord God of heaven. There is nothing in me that calls me to righteousness. 
if it were not for the power of the Holy Spirit, I would be utterly given over in every kind of wickedness. Any salvation that comes to me, according to the Scriptures, comes as a gift from Jesus. And so we need to come into agreement regarding what our natural self is like. Our natural self is utterly wicked, utterly depraved. Now, we have a social veneer that we have painted over the natural man so that we don't see the natural man until someone comes and jostles the natural man, and then we see what is truly in a natural man begin to bubble out and break forth in that person's conversation and in their heart. Murder, anger, defensiveness, jealousy, envy, malice, judgments, accusations, murder, rape, fornication, lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it takes to protect myself. This is the natural man. And until we have come to terms with this natural man, we cannot be saved. If we come to Jesus without dealing with the natural man and under the law understand that we are utterly condemned to hell, we will have a sentimental religion that will be an inch deep and a mile wide, and there will be no transformation of our character. And this is what we have in America. We have a gospel being taught by Joel Olstein that is a, a micrometer deep and a mile wide. And I could name many other pastors, national figures, who are doing the same thing because there never comes a deep, repentant recognition of the reality of the rottenness of man's soul. And without that understanding, everything then simply becomes sentimental. Everything becomes a false religion. Oh, we name the name of Jesus, we sing the songs, we say the nice words, we even curtail some of the more gross behaviors We might even stop fornication. We might even stop smoking. We might even stop drinking by sheer willpower. But the basic character, while being dressed up, is still that of a snake. It's still that of a wolf. The basic character hasn't been transformed. Now, please, in the few minutes we have left in today's broadcast, have you ever dealt with the depths of who your natural man is? Have you taken inventory? I would urge you to not push away the reality of your natural man, but understand the depths, the vileness of our sin the vileness of our lost condition before God 
and not covered over with some sentimental Jesus, some make-believe God, some feel-good invisible friend. If you have not questioned whether you are saved or not, I can assure you, you are not saved. It is necessary that we examine very carefully our behavior, our life, our attitudes, not in, life of, not in light of some sentimental belief about Jesus loving us unconditionally, but in reality, according to the Word of God. We're out of time today. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I urge you, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find our address where you can write to us and ways to contact us. Now, God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Oh